Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? The answer is not, woo, the answer is, I am blessed, no matter what's going on in your lives. Can we, can we, can we pause for a minute? Uh, you know, I realize we took some time last Sunday, 4th of July, and celebrated the military personnel and first responders. We appreciate you guys so very much. But in the spirit of what the choir just sang, and as we continue to celebrate and remember uh, the, the great nation that we get to be a part of, can we pause and pray that prayer? Would it be all right if we do that? Can we have a minute to do that? Let's pray. Father, make us one in you. We believe that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's what the psalmist David told us. We believe it's true. But if we're real, as much as we love our great nation, we recognize the further our nation moves away from being centered in you and centered in your word, the more our leaders become polarized over their own agendas and their own issues, the harder it is to see that blessing. And I'm not ready to give up on America, so I just pray right now in Jesus' name, together we unify our hearts that you would bring our nation together in you, that you would bring white, black, Hispanic, and Asian together in you, that you would bring this church family and every church across our nation together in you. And I pray, Lord, that out of the purity of a heart that says, I want to know God and know people, love God and love people just the way you told us to, I pray simply that you would bless our great nation again and through us bless the world in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. Amen, amen. Did you guys eat a hot dog this week? Come on, tell the truth. Two hot dogs, four hot dogs, come on. Can we give it up for the teenagers sitting across the front this morning? Good to see you guys. You know, I've been involved in a lot of churches over the many, 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 many years that I've been in ministry. And, and almost every time I see revival happening in the life of a church, the teenagers are leading the way. When they get on fire for Jesus, the rest of the church begins to follow. So let's do that. Welcome, guys. Glad you're here. Let's make Jesus the center of everything we do. We're talking this morning, of course, in the series that we're calling I Am Blessed. And we're talking about that reality that we get to live a blessed life regardless of what circumstances are in our lives. We all have circumstances that we love and circumstances that we're not thrilled about. In fact, we're sometimes scared to death about. Uh, and yet, Jesus says we are blessed, and so we're walking through what, what we frequently call the Beatitudes, that first section of the Sermon on the Mount, and learning what it means uh, to have a blessed life in terms of these character traits of Jesus that are identified in those first few verses of the book. Today, we're talking about purity of heart, so let's read it together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it's on the screens. You can open up your Bible and follow along if you want to, or open the, the Bridge NC app and follow along there. Open the notes, you can follow along, but let's read it together, get it in our hearts. One, two, three, go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who are the ones that are actually going to see God? The pure in heart. Who's going to get to see God at work in their lives right now? The pure in heart. Who's going to spend eternity with God? The pure in heart. Who's going to see God? The pure in heart. Are you motivated yet to have a pure heart? There's lots of reasons why we should. Jesus said the job is not about trying to have a pure heart. The job is about becoming like him because he came to us in purity. It, so, so really, this blessed life at the end of the day is a heart condition. 
At the end of the day, this blessed life is not so much about what's going in as it is about what's coming out. It's not so much about uh, what we do out here. It's about who we are in here. That's ultimately what this blessing is all about. So let's get into it. What exactly do we mean by a pure heart? The word pure in that verse in the original manuscript is the Greek word katharos. We get the English word Clorox from it, if that gives you an image, is this idea of being clean, bacteria-free, absolutely clean, uh, but it literally means unmixed motives. It literally means there's no guile or deceit. It means that our words match our meaning. We actually say what we mean and mean what we say. Let me ask you, is it possible to do good things but with the wrong motives? Yeah, I mean, is it possible to be outwardly religious but inwardly far from God? Yeah, because religion focuses on what you do. Christianity focuses on why we do what we do. And that's ultimately what he's talking about in this one of the Beatitudes, this idea of pure in heart is going to the heart of the matter, going all the way down to not just what we do, but who we are and why we do the things we do. Jesus, in fact, says this one's so important, he spends the entire chapter 6 of Matthew on it. So during our time today, I just kind of want to walk through Matthew 6. Again, you brought a Bible, you can flip there in your favorite translation. You can go to the Bridge NC app and and call it up. We'll have it up on the screens. I just want to kind of walk through Matthew 6 with you today as Jesus describes a pure heart. And as we have done every week, I want you to ask yourself the question, how am I doing? Not just in terms of I'm going to have a pure heart, but in terms of becoming more and more like Jesus, who is the quintessential expression of what a pure heart actually looks like. As I study Matthew 6, I see three keys to developing a pure heart. So let's break it down that way. Three separate areas that we need to address if we're going to be people of a pure heart. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? You probably got a July 4th picnic to get to, but but if you'll bear with me just a few minutes, can we walk through that? I I think it might be meaningful to us as we do some, some evaluation this morning. Key number one, Jesus says, is you gotta remember that God sees everything. If you really want a pure heart, keep in mind that God sees everything. In fact, he says this three times in the chapter. In verse 6, in verse 4, verse 6, and verse 18, he says, Your father sees what is done in secret. He sees everything. Kim and I had a, a pastor friend who was sort of a role model to us in the early days. We didn't know him well, but the few times we spent with he and his wife was just really rich and, and rewarding kind of time. They told the story about uh, their four-year-old son when Pastor Ralph Gerald was his name. Pastor Ralph was pastoring a small traditional church, and if any of you have ever been or grew up maybe in one of those traditional churches, kind of the way it was set up is you had rows of pews, you had the pulpit and, and the big oak chairs. Anybody remember these? And the pastor set up on the chairs, and then there was a door here and a door here that went back into the back area where the Sunday school classes and the bathrooms were. That's kind of how churches were laid out in those days. Well, Mrs. Gerald was in the choir every Sunday morning, and Pastor Gerald was sitting in the oak chair on the stage every Sunday morning, and their four-year-old sat out there waiting for Mrs. Gerald to leave the choir and come down. Well, every Sunday morning, he got into the habit. In the second verse of the second song, he would get up and walk across the altar, through the door, and go into the back. They asked him, what in the world are you doing? He said, well, I, I had to go to the bathroom, Daddy. I had to go to the bathroom. And so after two or three Sundays of this, telling him not to do it, he'd just get up walk across. So finally, 
Pastor Gerald said, son, today, right before the service, you're going to sit right here, and if I see you get up and go back there during this song, I'm going to get your britches after church this morning. Yes, Daddy. And so sure enough, they get into the second song, second verse. He gets up and walks across the front of the altar and walks through the door into the back. Well, they went on through the song and through the service, and after a few minutes, the four-year-old came back in through the door, came into the altar, and when he came, but he came out this time, he had his eyes closed and his hands out, and he's doing this number. Took him forever to get across, back over and bumped into the front row and finally sat down. Afterwards, they asked him, son, what in the world are we doing? What they realized is that he got backstage and then caught himself and said, Oh, no, Daddy said he was going to get my britches if I did this today. And so he decided that if he couldn't see them, <laughs> then maybe they couldn't see him. <laughs> so he snuck back onto the pew. He got away with not getting a spanking that day because <laughs> the point was made. Now, that's fun to tell that story, but he was four. Any of you ever have Satan whisper in your ear, nobody would ever know? And you tend like, if you can't see God, he can't see you? While Satan's whispering that nobody will ever know in your ear, and while you're debating about whether or not to do this thing that you're tempted to do, Jesus whispers in your ear, you understand God doesn't just see what you do. He sees the debate that's raging in your head right now. He sees it all. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, nothing in, what's that word? All creation. What does all include? Everything. And all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, what is everything? Is everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now hear me, guys. i got to move on. But I need you to understand, I'm not trying to scare you. I got a, call, a calling card one time. The outside of it said, God knows everything about you. And then you open it up and it said, kind of scary, huh? <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I'm trying to say, God knows everything that's going on in your thought life, in your heart, in your intents, in your motives, in your actions. He knows it all and he loves you unconditionally. So why don't we just quit trying to play games with him? Why don't we just get real and say, God, I think I'm doing pretty good today, but help me. God, I'm struggling right now. I just need you to help me with this struggle. God, I'm, I blew it that time. I really need you to help me with this one. And just do life breathing out the junk and in the grace and out the junk and in the grace. Because he knows. It's not like if you actually say it out loud, he's going to say, well, shazam, I didn't know you were thinking that. I might have to zap you now. That's, I mean, you think that's what God does? You think he doesn't know? So if you really want to have a pure heart, it begins with this open, transparent relationship with the God of the universe who already knows you're just being honest and sincere with him about your struggles, your highs, and your lows, which leads us then to the second key, that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 6, and that is you've got to review your motives. You've got to spend some time thinking about, again, not just what I do, but why I do the things that I do. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All a person's ways, what is all? 
all of them. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You know what that says? It says that right deeds done from wrong motives don't count in eternity. It says that we need to spend some time thinking about not just what we're doing or don't do. So many people kind of whittle Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts, and it is not. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not just about what you do or don't do. It's about why you do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do. In fact, Jesus gives us three examples in Matthew 6 to kind of help us kind of process this idea of motives. He starts out with with what may be the acid test of our faith giving. Look what he says in in, uh, Matthew 6, 2. When you give, stop right there. He didn't say if you give. There is an assumption, there is an assumption in Jesus' heart, in his worldview, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a giver. Why? Because he's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's who he is, and so that's who we will be. So you may just start there with, am I a giver or not? And, and what's my heart when I give? But he says, he goes deeper than that even. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. They blow trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets so that people will see them and honor them. I tell you the truth, those hypocrites already have their reward. Can you picture what he's talking about here? The, the Pharisees of the day, who's referring to, were, were those kind of people. They loved to stand on the street corner and, and talk about themselves. They loved to wear, they used to wear a thing called phylacteries, which were things they, they wore on their head, and there were little copies of the, of the law in that little thing. So they'd walk around, and it was a way of saying to everybody, I keep all of the law perfectly. I'm a perfect human being. And so this had this way. So Jesus is saying, you know, it, it's kind of like they, they go to church, and they give an offering, and they go, <laughs> Every time the offering, you know, and I know we don't have that kind of stuff, but what, what do you suppose it'd be like if at the door every Sunday morning the ushers were there were with offering envelopes and kazoos? <laughs> All right, Pastor Andy says, okay, the ushers are coming to give our offering. And every time the plate would pass by, and, you know, so we're just going around the room with little sounds coming off and making sure that everybody saw it. That's what he's talking about. This idea of giving so that others would see. And I know churches, I've never seen that in a church, but can I tell you one of my pet peeves? It's churches that have little tiny brass plaques on everything in the church. And every chair and every window and every nook and cranny, every piece of molding has got a brass plaque because somebody gave it in, in some family. And I believe in memorials and all that kind of stuff. But it reaches a point where fundraising sometimes crosses the line into, hey, everybody, I'll give that if you'll give me recognition. And Jesus says, it ain't about recognition, guys. It, ain't, it can't be about that because I'm not sure it counts in eternity when you, when you do. I've even, I've even seen preachers do this kind of stuff. When you give uh, that way, Jesus said, that's all the reward you get. Then he goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, so when you give to the poor, don't let anyone know what you're doing. Your giving should be done in secret. Your father can see what's done in secret, and he will reward you. Now, be realistic. Nobody's trying to get legalistic here. Be realistic. We're bringing uh, uh, grocery bags, paper bags full of 
uh, children's supplies in that's going to go with the Kentucky team to bless the children in that impoverished part of our great nation. And so we're thankful for that. And you see people walking in with bags. Nobody's suggesting that you put the bag under your shirt so nobody can see you. That's not what we're talking about. What are we talking about? There's a difference between being seen and being seen. Making a scene, you know, say, hey, look, I got two bags. How many bags you got? <laughs> I got three bags. See, you, you cross a line somewhere in there, and Jesus says there, there's a purity of heart issue that has to be addressed. Then he goes on and says the same thing about praying. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray so people will see them. I tell you the truth, they already have their full reward. Again, he's challenging us to look past what we do to why we're doing it. And, and, and the question we ask ourselves and our motive is, is when I pray, um, am I praying to the gallery or to God? I mean, am I using big words to try to impress God or try to impress people? I think it would behoove us all to think sometimes about the way we pray and the words that we use when we pray and wonder if maybe sometimes <coughs> it's become this kind of rote dynamic or, or maybe trying to impress people. And thy heavenly Father, that thou wouldest, shouldest, goodest, Give us an eschatological trajectory toward the eternity that is before us. Oh, come on, give me a break. God, I want to go to heaven when I die. That's what you just said, right? When I decided to go back to school to get my doctorate, they sent me the syllabus. <coughs> and when the syllabus came in the mail, I opened it up and, and started reading it. And I looked at Kim and said, I can't do this program. I can't even read the syllabus. How in the world am I going to do this program? They're talking about the ontological praxis of the orthoontology of the what? Kim and I, I kid you not, Kim and I sat down online and got an online dictionary and started looking up the words in the syllabus to know what the words in the syllabus man to decide whether or not I was going to apply to that school to go to school. And I found out, you know what? Orthoontology is, it's just who you are normally. That's, why didn't you say that? But we do that in our prayers. It's just amazing how we do that sometimes as if we're trying to impress somebody in the way we do it. Jesus says you already have your reward. I've been thinking lately about the billboard up on 70. I, I, I'm thinking it would be a good idea to put my face up there on that billboard. Don't you think that would be really good? People drive by and say, oh, there's a man of God. I see a man of God. You, you, you like that idea? Come on. All in favor, say aye. Okay, the ayes have it. Let's go. <laughs> then he goes from giving to prayer to fasting. Look what he says in verse 16. When you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites. They make their faces look sad to show people they're fasting. I tell you the truth, these hypocrites already have their full reward. So when you fast, comb your hair and, and wash your face. You don't have to wait until you're fasting to comb your hair and wash your face, by the way. Just, you, you can do that every day if you like, certainly on Sunday mornings. But <laughs> then people will not know that you're fasting, but your father whom you cannot see will see you. The father sees what is done in secret, and he will reward you. The point simply is people with a pure heart want to please the one who sees it all. They live for an audience of one. His name is Jesus Christ. And if anybody sees it, not because of my effort, if nobody sees it, 
that's fine because I wasn't doing it for anybody else. I was doing it for the one who gave all for me. Pure-hearted people don't parade their good deeds. And if you can't do a good deed without being sure somebody saw it, acknowledged it, or if you feel left out when nobody says, wow, that was awesome, then you need to check your motives for why you do what you do. People who are pure in heart live in the reality that God sees everything and their motive for what they do is simply to please God, not men. Then the third key to this pure in heart kind of thing, having evaluated our motives, knowing that we're walking uh, in the presence of God no matter where we are and what we're doing, is we then begin to align our priorities with God's priorities. We make sure that those things that are most important in our lives are the things that are most important to him. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all, and what does all include? All everything, all these, we'll talk about those in detail in just a minute, all these things will be given to you as well. Fact is, if your priorities are out of whack, your heart will end up divided. If your priorities all mixed up, then you'll get pulled in all kinds of directions. And eventually, somewhere in there, you will lose sight of the idea of lining your priorities up with God's priorities. Those of you that have been here for a while may remember a year and a half ago we did a series on priorities and we talked about this idea of priorities through the lens of of the ripple effect on a pond. Picture it with me if you weren't here. Others of you, maybe you'll remember a little bit about it, but but, uh, you drop a rock into a still pool of water, what happens? You get a splash and then what happens beyond that splash? You get a ripple effect that goes out from there. And so if you want big ripples, then what do you do? You drop a bigger rock. You get a bigger splash because the bigger the splash is in the center, the bigger the ripples are, are that are going out. Well, you think of that in terms of your priorities in life, and God says that your number one priority ought to be your relationship with him. That's the biggest rock you drop your relationship with him, and then out of that circle comes your relationship with your spouse if you're married, with your kids, your family, and after that comes the the relationship with your church family, your spiritual family. So you go from your physical family to your spiritual family to your relationship with your community, with your relationship with your world. It's all about relationships at the end of the day. If you want to have more impact in your children's lives, how do you do it? Drop an extra rock out there? No, that creates competing priorities. And before you know it, you're pulled back and forth. The bigger the rock in the center, the more ripple effect you get moving outwards. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then all these other ripples will be bigger. That's the Pastor Jim paraphrase of 633. So how do you know? How do you know? Bottom line is, if you've got mixed motives, you're not going to get your priorities right, and unmixed motives require clearly defined priorities clearly defined priorities. So how do you know what your priorities really are? Well, Jesus does an amazing job of breaking that down for us in chapter 6 of Matthew. He says if you really want to know what your priorities are for real, then you got to look at three things. you got to look at your activities, you got to look at your anxieties, and you got to look at your ambitions. Your activities, your anxieties, and your ambitions. Say it with me. Your activities your anxieties, your ambitions. One more time. Your activities, your anxieties, 
your ambitions. Let's go back and look at each one of those quickly. And as we do, I want you to give some thought to what do my activities say about my priorities in life? What do my anxieties say about my priorities in life? What do my ambitions say about my priorities in life? Because the pure in heart are the ones who are blessed. They're the ones who see God, and they're the ones who seek first the kingdom of heaven. They align their priorities with God's priorities. Let's break it down. First of all, we're talking about activities. Where do I invest my time and my money? Go back to Matthew 6 again, uh, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you put your treasure in a boat, where's your heart while you're at work on Monday? It's on the boat where your treasure is. Nothing wrong with having a boat. Just be aware that when you put your treasure in something, that's where your heart's going to go. You love this place? Tell me, yes, you love this place? Put some treasures here. Because you put your treasures here, that's where your heart's going to be. That's just reality. That's what he's saying. So he wants you to stop and say, okay, what, are your, what, what, what is where you're investing your treasures say about you? Well, the most precious things we have is time and money, right? So if you really want to know what your priorities, look at your calendar and your checkbook. If you really want to know what your priorities, if you really want to know if God is first, then you've got to look at those two things because that's the most precious commodities we have. Where we spend our time, where we spend our money is really what's in first place in our lives. And so let me be as direct as I know how about this. I ran across it the other day, and I think it's absolutely dead on, so let me say it as clearly as I know how. When God is priority number one, the first of my pay becomes a tithe. The first of my day becomes a quiet time. The first of my week becomes a worship time with my brothers and sisters. And the first of my talents are used to serve others, not myself. Ask yourself the question, how you doing when it comes to this issue of time and money, what are my priorities based on my activities? The second way Jesus tells us to evaluate our priorities is to ask about your anxieties. What is it that I actually worry about? You can tell a lot about your priorities by what worries you, by what keeps you up at night. Chapter 6 lays out for us the five most common worries of, of all human beings. Jesus understood completely, and he laid it out for us, and so let me walk through them. Verse 24, he talks about finances. Anybody know anybody ever worries about money? You know, I've read several different studies over the year that the number one issue that couples who divorced fought about while they were together, money. 63% said money was the number one thing they argued about. So, yeah, we worry about money sometimes. Verses 25 and 28, he talks about food and fashion. I find it interesting. I always find it interesting why he put food and fashion together, but he did. I think it's because we see an outfit and then we have to starve ourselves to get skinny enough to get in that outfit. I don't know if that's, if that's why they're together, but he did. He put them together. And we worry about that sometimes, right? Verse 27 talks about fitness. We're talking about our health. Verse 34 talks about the future. We worry about what's going to happen next, what's coming up, what's about our future. So hear me, guys, if any of those things are taking large chunks of your time, your thought life, it's a red flag that God is not actually the number one priority in your life. Because when he is, you trust him with those things. Let's walk through it, okay? 
when it comes to finances. Here's what he said. You cannot serve both God and money. At no point in, anywhere in Scripture does it say money's a bad thing. Rich people love Jesus. Poor people love Jesus. Money is, not, is morally neutral. The, the issue is where, where's your love? The issue is where's your heart? And so he says you can't serve, you can't give your heart to both God and money. In fact, I can guarantee you to solve that problem lickety-split. If you really want to get rid of any worries about money, I can absolutely guarantee you how to do it. There, there are four steps to it. If you'll take these four steps, I guarantee you, you'll never worry about money again. You ready? Is that worth a few minutes? There we go. First of all, prioritize your spending around three lists, okay? Step one, prioritize your spending around three lists. List number one is, is if I don't buy these things, I will die, okay? That, that's the house, food, a coat in the winter, you know, that, the, I got to have those things. List number two is I don't really need those things, but I want them because my friends have them. That's list number two, Okay? Uh, the latest techno, the, the latest smartphone, the video console for the kids that all their friends have. Well, all my friends have one, Daddy. You know, that's, the, the, that's list two. List three is I don't even want them, but I'll buy them anyway because I'm dumb. Okay, that's. Now I'm talking about Vegematics, you know, anything made by Ronco. Just, you know, we buy that stuff and we go, why not buy this stupid thing? Because you were on an infomercial and they convinced you that this was the best thing to do, right? The abdominizer. How many, come on, how many bought an abdominizer and it's hidden in your closet somewhere and never used it once? That's what we do. So, so what's the secret? Step number one, list one, list two, list three. Throw list two and three away and live within your means in list one. Piece of cake. Step one's easy, right? Step three then in this journey is make sure that that list one fits your earnings. And then step four, trust God with the rest because he will take care of you if you get the rest right. Anybody ever worried about food or fashion? Matthew 6.25, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? No, it doesn't say don't care about those things. It says don't worry about those things. Don't stress over those things. Don't make those things a priority in your life because at the end of the day, they're hollow. I mean, a huge part of the, 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 the stress that we put ourselves under, both in terms of our, our physiques and our clothes and everything else, is trying to live up some, to some artificial image that's in a magazine or on television that isn't even real. Saw an interview with Julianne Moore one time. Maybe you know the actress. She was being interviewed in a, in a talk show, and, and somebody held up a magazine that she was in, and she said, oh, yeah, I saw that magazine. I was thumbing through that magazine not too long ago, and I saw this picture, and I went, oh, now that, that lady's beautiful. Wow, who is, my, look at, and she realized, it's me. No, that's not me. That's airbrushed me. That was so, it was refreshing to have her admit that on television. This ain't the real thing. This is airbrush thing. There's a meme floating around on Facebook these days. We, we got to stop posting our, our profile picture on Facebook based on glamour shots because when we get lost, nobody will be able to find us. Because <laughs> that's not really what we look like, okay? And yet we stress over those things so much. Verse 28 and 9, why do you worry about clothes? 
See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And you may say, just be real about this thing, you may say that our church doesn't worry about that kind of stuff. You know, we're just kind of casual dress folks, and so we just don't worry about that fashion kind of stuff. But let somebody come into our church wearing a coat and tie. And we'll make just as much fun of him as his church would of us when we walked in casual if we don't guard our hearts. It's not about exterior. It's about interior. Then he goes on to say, don't worry about your fitness, your health. Matthew 6, 27. Can anyone of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? He's not suggesting you shouldn't work out or run or walk or manage your diet. Of course you should. We're called to be good stewards of this body that he's entrusted to us for a season. He's saying just worrying about a disease won't keep you from getting it. Take care of yourself. Trust God with the rest. In fact, worrying about it only leads to phobias, germophobia and agoraphobia and, and all those phobias that come along that our world has become so enamored with these days. And then ultimately, he talks about worrying about the future. Matthew 6, 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen? One of the, I love those universal amens. In my experience, 80% of what we worry about never even happens. Stress to the max didn't change a thing, except get our blood pressure up. Jesus said, stop. Instead, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you want to know what your priorities are, let me say that another way. If you want the blessed life, you've got to check out your acquisition, your anxieties, and finally your ambitions. Your goals reveal the desires of your heart. Verse 32 of Matthew 6, For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now again, I need you to understand, ambition is morally neutral. There's nothing wrong with ambition. God created ambition in us. Jabez in 2 Chronicles was ambition. He prayed, Lord, expand my territory. There's nothing wrong with ambition. It goes beyond ambition. It goes down to why do I want this expansion? Why do I want this development? Why do I want this promotion? Why do I want to go to the next level? Why do I want the HNL? Why do I want it? It goes down to the why. Jesus said, don't let that become the driving force of your life. Pagans do that because they think somehow it's going to fill the hole in their soul, but it never ultimately does. Paul said, I've learned to be content with a little and with a lot. I'm thankful for what I have, but I'm not going to stress and worry over whether I have it or not because at the end of the day, it's about Jesus and my relationship with him. I've got to close, so let me just ask this question for you to kind of ponder. Why is all this stuff important? I mean, 
you've been in church very long, if you've ever been in a church setting very long, you've probably heard Matthew 6 taught before and you've heard some of these teachings before. I probably haven't told you anything new today uh, that you've never heard of before. Why is this so important to the blessed life? Why did Jesus include it in the list of the top eight things that he talked about in the blessed life? And I'm convinced that it's because people who are pure in heart They don't have to live in fear of being found out. There's a a peace that comes. There's a relaxed that comes. There's an ability to just enjoy the blessings of life that comes when you know you don't have any hidden secrets. You don't have any hidden agendas or hidden motives. You don't have a list of lies that you've told that you have to keep up with so that you tell the same lies to those people that you told them last time. You don't have to deal with any of that stressful stuff. There's a purity, there's a blessedness that comes with this purity that says I am who I am because of Jesus Christ and I get to be who he made me to be and I'm not going to compare myself with somebody that has more or less or somebody who's doing more or or less, or someone who's achieved more or less. I'm not going to buy into that junk. I'm just going to live for an audience of one. There is a blessing that comes. Jesus says, come, follow me. Not the crowd, me. And I will, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you a quietness of spirit. Do away with that internal turmoil that so many people live with these days. In fact, I love the way the message paraphrases that one line from Matthew 11.30. He said, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Just this quietness of living. He says, man, I'm glad God sees everything because if there's anything in here that doesn't please him, I want to know about it. I just, I don't want it in my life. I want to know what my motives are. And if I get out of whack on that thing and my motives get upside down, I want to know what they are because I want to get it right. I want to please what pleases him, and I want to live according to the way that honors him. That's what I want. I want my life to actually eternally matter. When I get my priorities lined up according to God's priorities and then I look back on this life, that's been lived out according to the plan that he had for me, I can know that that, that this one and only life I've been blessed with is going to make an eternal difference in the lives of people, and then one day there'll be a reward for me on the other side. That is a blessed life, I'm here to tell you. Whether you have a little or a lot becomes irrelevant. What comes down to is living for an audience of one. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that the blessed life is available to us, that we can actually see it, feel it, touch it, experience it here and now. We can't do it in our own power. We acknowledge that. But as we become more like you, as we commit ourselves to walk in your presence and your knowledge, to challenge not just what we do but why we do it on an ongoing and regular basis, to make sure that there's a purity of heart in why we do what we do, no guile, no mixed motives. And as we address our priorities in life through the lens of Seek first the kingdom of heaven. 
pray that the blessed life that you promised will become more and more real in our hearts. In Jesus' name, keep your heads up bowed for just a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. I want to be clear about what you're going to pray because I want you to do it with intentionality. I realize there's some of you here that have never prayed a prayer like this before. Maybe if I ask you before service, if you're a Christian, you'd have said yes. But, but to come down to why I do what I do and motives and priorities, you've never really thought about that before. And so here and now, you hear Jesus saying, come to me. I will give you rest. I can get you out of the turmoil of trying to keep the wheel spinning. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while. You have a relationship with him. You're you're ready for heaven when that day comes, but that turmoil is still real in your heart today. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, would would you pray a simple prayer with me right now? Pray it out loud or silently. I don't care. Do it in your own words, but let it go something like this. Jesus, I want the blessed life. I do. Maybe even more, I want a pure heart. I don't want unmixed motives. I don't want deceit or guile to be the hallmark of my life. I want a pure heart. So forgive me for the times when my motives were not right, for the times when my priorities were out of whack, for the times that I forgot that you were there and you were watching forgive me give me a fresh start right now in Jesus name Father you know who's praying you know what's going on in every heart I pray that you would speak life and health and forgiveness and blessed life to us all in Jesus name Amen would you stand with me this morning Thanks so much for being at the bridge today. The altars are going to be open in a minute. There's several prayer warriors that would love to pray with you today. If you've got an issue of any kind, you need physical healing, you've got something you're wrestling with, whatever it is, if, if God's spoken a word and, and you need to pray with somebody in agreement, then take advantage of that opportunity. Come to the altar before this service. Don't leave, okay? God bless you guys. Have a safe 4th of July weekend. Father, go with us from this place and help us to accomplish everything we accomplished for the sake of our own families, for the sake of our our families, immediate families, our church family, for the sake of our nation. I pray blessing over us all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. First-time guests, stop by the VIP center. Everybody else, leave your connect cards with the ushers at the door.